Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations with news about New Orleans that counts about our economy, our environment, our culture, and some occasional politics. Well, here we are on the Friday before Mardi Gras, very important day. It marks the intensification of this celebration. And I hope everybody's having a great time. And However, I do want to also generate a, a little warning here. The news uh, has reflected we have another epidemic in play, and this time it's of sexually transmitted diseases, such as uh, syphilis and gonorrhea and chlamydia. And our rates are extremely high, and it's preventable. I learned today in the conversation that I had with Dr. Nadu, which you're about to hear, that it's really a question of more screening on an annual basis, he's suggesting. So we'll begin our show today with a warning, despite the celebration of Mardi Gras, but maybe because of it too. And then we'll kind of have a sort of longer philosophical conversation with architect Stephen Bingler. He has given a lot of thought to how we should be looking at where we live, our place, and how we should be developing it and taking care of it. This is Jean Nathan, Crosstown. Thank you for joining and enjoy the show. So today we have a very serious warning about a remarkable sudden increase in sexually transmitted diseases, including syphilis and chlamydia. I hate to be talking about yet another epidemic. Here we are. First of all, I need to understand um, why you think this has happened. What's going on? Absolutely. Thank you for um, having me. Um, uh, just to introduce myself, I'm Dr. Uh, Nadu. I'm one of the infectious disease doctors over at Oshner Medical Center. Um, I practice mainly at the uh, Jefferson Highway campus um, and um, occasionally go to the Baptist and the West Bank campus. And I'm very happy to be here to discuss this um, incredibly um, uh, um, big uh, topic. I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, um, Louisiana and um, here in New Orleans specifically, and I can say at Baton Rouge as well, we've tended to have unacceptably high rates of sexually transmitted infections. And I'm talking uh, specifically about chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, um, but also HIV as, um, as well. And, um, you know, a, a lot of it, um, you know, has to do with, um, you know, access to medical information, access to health information, um, um, you know, poverty, and, um, you know, we're starting to understand a lot of social determinants of health um, around poverty, education, and, um, and access to health, particularly amongst um, historically marginalized communities, 
um, all sort of play a big role in terms of healthcare and health outcomes. And I think these are some of the things that are are at at play uh, when it comes to uh, to sexually transmitted infections. Um, you know, we we have treatments, uh, we have strategies to prevent it. And, you know, I think that the question is really um, trying to disseminate this information out to people, trying to ensure that people feel empowered uh, to be able to make uh, decisions around their health, around their sexual health. Um, you know, and I think these are key things that we need to do in order to, to you know, bring down the rates of, of infection. Um, are you so? Are you seeing this in your practice? I mean, have you actually literally, since you are an infectious disease physician, you have um, literally seen the increase in your office? Yeah. Um, to be honest, we've been seeing high rates for some time. I think it's bad that it's it's making the news, um, but we we certainly you know diagnose all these um, sexually transmitted illnesses, um, and and we have been seeing this um, you know for some time. I think that there are a couple of things to discuss here. One, some of these sexually transmitted infections, a person can have it and actually not know that they have it. And um, for instance, chlamydia, for instance, it is possible for someone to be infected with chlamydia and actually not know. And no. as you alluded to, there are instances where this can lead to some long-term sequelae. Um, in terms of um, a person's um, uh, reproductive health. And in the case of men, occasionally it can lead to some scarring and inflammation in the um, urethra. So occasionally it can lead to some long-term complications. But a lot of times people may not even know that they have chlamydia or may not even know that they have uh, syphilis. Um, and in that instance, those individuals may potentially, without knowing it, you know, transmit infections to to other people. And so a, one thing I advise um, my patients who are sexually active, uh, you know, to me, honestly, if you're sexually active, um, you should get screened um, at least once a year uh, for sexually transmitted infections, including HIV. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that um, uh, it's important for a couple of reasons. One, it's important for the, our own individual health. Uh, if we catch these things early and we treat them, um, one does not have to uh, necessarily be concerned about any long-term complications. Um, so it's important for our own health. It's also important for the health of those who we, we might be intimate with as well uh, in terms of transmission of infections as well. So get screened, get tested at a minimum once a year, certainly more often if one has exposures that one is, is possibly concerned about, but get screened, you know, syphilis is, is curable, chlamydia is curable, gonorrhea is curable with treatment. Um, HIV, we have great treatments for HIV now. It's not curable, but it's something that can be treated to whereas a person lives a full, long and healthy life. And so um, really, I think key things are getting screened and then the preventative steps. Um, the number of things that, um, um, you know, one can do in terms of prevention um, outside of mutual monogamy. Of course, mutual monogamy, both uh, partners or however many partners are in the relationship, all getting tested, screened, and uh, keeping that sexual network uh, between themselves. That's one way to, uh, you know, to prevent the, um, the, the spread of, of sexually transmitted infections. 
Um, condom use, of course, being another uh, important thing. Well, we have other strategies. Uh, for HIV, we have a strategy um, called pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, where a person takes a pill every day, or now you can take an injection every two months, and that actually works really well to protect the person from getting HIV. And then for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, there have been studies showing that the use of doxycycline, you take a big dose of an antibiotic called doxycycline within 24 hours of a sexual, of a condomless sexual exposure. And that actually decreases um, the uh, rate of transmission of, of these sexually transmitted oh, infections. So, yeah. so we, we have some tools now, we have more tools now to keep, keep people safe. So um, I think that's really critical. And I think that your linkage of, of um, our high rate with poverty is, is the critical factor probably in Louisiana for why the rate is so high, other than the fact that we really like to have a good time here, I don't know, is that factor too. But um, I was shocked in reading um, and, uh, the, the news that um, in fact, the, if, if syphilis untreated can cause um, dire health issues. Absolutely. And that, uh, even chlamydia, I, which really shocked me because you tend to think of chlamydia, one thinks um, who people who are knowledgeable that it, it's not that serious because it can be treated, but if not, and as you say, the, being able to discern uh, that you even have the infection is, is serious. The other thing is um, the numbers of, of how it can affect uh, women's conditions and um, babies was really disheartening to think that a child uh, can die from it uh, after uh, shortly after birth if, if uh, they are born with the infection was frightening to me. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, particularly syphilis, um, you know, um, mother to child uh, transmission to syphilis um, is something that is very possible. Congenital syphilis is something that can affect um, the, the newborn baby in a very adverse way. Um, there should really, our goal is that there should be no more congenital syphilis. Um, um, really in the world. But, um, you know, obviously the focus of this program is uh, New Orleans and Louisiana. And so there should be no more congenital syphilis. Um, um, you know, uh, pregnant women in care uh, should get screened for syphilis, usually early in the pregnancy and a little bit later in the pregnancy. Um, they, they, they should get screened. And so, um, and if treated, then basically that prevents the baby uh, from from uh, from having that complication. Uh, chlamydia is also something that can potentially um, affect um, a child uh, born to to the mother, and so it's definitely um, something. Again, a pregnant woman in um, uh, antenatal care um, should get screened and 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 tested. And I just want to stress that, you know, long-term syphilis can cause other complications. It can cause complications in the brain as well. Um, it can cause uh, vascular complications in terms of the blood vessels. And so, and then we talked just a little bit about long-term complications potentially with, with chlamydia. Um, but these are all things that if caught early, if a person is uh, getting screened every year, if caught 
um, and treated, basically it's, you know, you, you, you cure it. So what are um, some of the, you said it was hard to know, it, it, it was possible to have syphilis or chlamydia and not know it. That's, that is, you know, I have to say that, um, you know, I was, unfortunately, I did not uh, bring a pregnancy to term, but I was pregnant at one point and I, I had no knowledge whatsoever that um, there was an issue with, because uh, I was not um, multi-active, let's say. I mean, I just, you know, I was married and I, had, I was hoping for a child. And um, I, I had no idea that it would have been important for me at that time to be screened, um, not having had um, the kind of lifestyle that might make it more likely that I might have an infection. But even before that, when I was younger and I was more active, um, you know, with more than one person, I I, I just had no idea that uh, you could you could you the of the dire circumstances that could evolve, and and no thought to being screened, never. And that was you know okay a few years ago. I'm not exactly um, a newborn <laughs> myself, but um, I, I I'm just I I think that. You know, as you said before, and, and I think we have to put a lot of emphasis on this, and I don't know what the current state of sex education is in the country, in, in Louisiana. I know that it's it's a conservative position right now to, to make it, um, uh, I, I, I don't know what they think they're accomplishing by uh, reducing sex education other than uh, dire results that we're talking about. I mean, I think somehow they think that they're going to avoid... Um, uh, some kind of social developments that they don't approve of. It's it's, it's sad. It's really, a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that we're politicizing something that could result in people's really dire health problems of death. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think that uh, it's important to have open conversations uh, with young people about it. Um, I think we should sort of um, that was my personal opinion, demystify sex. Um, it, it is, it's a part of life. Um, it's, it's, it's something that's just a part of uh, being human. If we didn't being, have it, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> part of being a living being. And the issue is really making it safe. You know, um, I oftentimes use phrases like sexual health. Um, just making sure that people have the tools and feel empowered to be able to engage in sex safely, um, making decisions that are safe for their health and for the health of their partner or partners. Um, you know, I think that um, that's ultimately important. And so talking about it openly, using strategies to keep one's uh, safe um, condom use works, be it HIV, be it gonorrhea, be it chlamydia, be it syphilis. Um, using condoms has been time and time again proven to work. Um, some people prefer sort of mutual either monogamy or mutual, if there's more than one person within that um, group, um, everyone being tested, everyone staying within the group, making sure um, yeah, you know that everyone sort of stays within that group. That's certainly one way to go about it. And then I just wanted to again stress that there are other tools as well, like pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, people take a pill daily or get a shot every two months. That works really well to protect people from HIV. And then there is um, what we call doxypep. The antibiotic is doxycycline. 
You take 200 milligrams of it within 24 hours of a sexual encounter. And that works really well to protect people against gonorrhea, chlamydia, as well as, as syphilis. And so it, I know the numbers are staggering, but there's certainly things that we, that we can do. I, I think the key word uh, that uh, I've heard in our, your conversation and I saw in the news was that these are preventable diseases. Uh, it, it's not quite like COVID, which all you have to do is sit at a table with somebody and, uh, and have dinner and, and get, and get uh, COVID because it's, that, it's infectious in a totally different way. But um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's definitely something that is, is preventable um, specific practices and, and people really just have to be disciplined about it and, and, uh, and take uh, into consideration the risks. And that's what I think uh, doesn't happen is that, you know, it's hard for folks often to think about the risks when they just want to have sex or have fun. Yes, you know? yes ma'am. I mean, that's true. One of the reasons why the COVID spread so much. Speaking of which, just real quickly as we close out, um, what's going on with the, uh, um, for a while there, it seemed like we were going to have another run with um, COVID. And uh, then it kind of seems to have, uh, you know, disappeared from the news. Is it, is it, happening is it um mild it's still, yeah it's still there um you know covid is still in our communities um we certainly saw some increases as we went into the fall um and it's certainly still there we we, we you know we have patients in the hospital um uh, with covid um you know it's not as bad as in 2000 as far as the hospitalizations we're nowhere near that you know, we're not being overrun as we 2000, were. You mean 2020? I mean, uh, 2020, yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Uh, it's not as bad as in 2020 when our hospitals were overrun with, with patients. Um, I think the key things I would just say with COVID, I think being vaccinated um, helps. Obviously, natural inf infection gives you some uh, immunity as well. Um, getting the vaccine, um, if you're from a, a vulnerable group, uh, meaning someone over the age of 60, someone with cardiac and lung chronic problems, someone with problems uh, that make their immune systems weak. Um, those are those are the sort of people that we see in the hospital with COVID uh, because they're a bit more vulnerable. Um, other people may typically get really, really sick, but um, don't you know require um, hospitalization. And so I, I still, I know there's a lot of, you know, uh, back and forth and um, I think unnecessary controversy um, in regards to the vaccine, um, but I still encourage everyone to get vaccine. And I will say that there are, if people are concerned about mRNA vaccines, that you know there is a non-mRNA um, COVID vaccine available uh, for people to um, um, to get uh, to use. It's the um, Novavax vaccine, and and that's available for people to to get boosters with as well. Well, sounds like at the moment, um, we should certainly continue to be cautious about COVID, uh, but maybe this other um, epidemic of sexual diseases for the moment is something we have to pay a lot more attention to. Uh, Dr. Naju, I always appreciate your wisdom and I appreciate this uh, conversation. Let's check in again um, in, in, the, in the future uh, and, and take the temperature, so to speak, of of how we're all dealing with this. But I think um, the education thing is the thing that I, I, I wish I had more uh, ability to do something about, but that's why we did this interview, was to get the word out. Thank you Thank for you having so me. Thank you for your time. Okay.
Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. Bingler, architect, planner. I have to give you credit as a community activist, even though you probably don't necessarily um, live with that label, but uh, you definitely take your practice beyond the boundaries of pure technical architectural work. And that's one of the reasons why I thought it would be really interesting to talk with you and hear from you at this time. Um, because we're, we're kind of at an interesting moment in this, this city's history. We're at a point where there's a lot of kind of sour attitudes. When you, if you read all the national newsletters that could drive you nuts that I read online, you read a lot about uh, the sour mood that is uh, nationwide. It's not just here. It's, it's, uh, and it's not just about the pandemic. And it's not just about Trump. It, it's about some kind of... Um, I'm not a mystic and I don't believe and I'm not spiritual, so I don't I can't go out into outer space onto the causes of what we've been going through, but it has been a difficult time, I think, uh, in global history. However, um I, I I have this theory that the worse things get, the better the chances for change because that's that's you, you just get forced up against, you know, this barrage of bad stuff that you can't live with so you have to do something about it and uh my theory is that was is that that's where we're at right now and i think that people like you who who work at the intersection of practices that have an impact on a community are are critical to how we're going to come out of this so i really want to hear your perspective your sense of the moment uh, in, in terms of how your profession is interacting with communities and economies and, and where you are in that. And, and if you agree with me that as, as sour as we may feel about things for various reasons that we don't need to go into, because I don't want to spend, this is not a gripe session. This is a, how do we get out of the gripe session? So um, I'd be curious to hear, I know that you think positively about how things need to be um, nudged in the right direction. So tell me what you see as the basis for things moving in the right direction. That's a, that's a loaded question. That's not an objective question. So you can phrase your thinking about the answer to that and rephrase my question at my um, uh, agreement well I, I, that's a really challenging and and i think a really important question that you're asking and my answer is is that i believe that we are moving in the right direction and it doesn't always feel like it um but you know that you and i have been around long enough to know this is not our first rodeo 
So, um, you know, we were here in 1983 when, you know, there, there, there was this new world's fair coming up and, and, you know, we were here in the civil rights movement before that. My feeling about all this is that, you know, things are almost always challenging. You know, I mean, we have a World War II museum here that, do, that pays tribute to, you know, our parents' generation. Um, and sometimes think, whenever I think things are really bad, I imagine what it must have been like uh, to, to, to be as my father was on a ship in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and almost everybody's father was um, during that time. And it must have looked like the end of the world. So no matter how bad it looks right now, it's probably not as bad as it looked at that time. And, and Unless how we go I really into a World War III in, in uh, the Middle East, which is... Well, you, know, you know, and maybe we will. Um, and it wouldn't be the first time, it won't be the last time. But the, the, way, the way I keep myself sane on all this stuff is, is to understand that we live in an ecosystem. And ecosystems are, are messy, right? And they look... If you know when you when you walk through nature, you know it looks so pristine and so tranquil and so beautiful. But we all know that under all of those uh, leaves, you know, there's all this stuff going on, right? And and there, there's all this conflict that's going. The on. roots of the trees are talking with each other. How about that discovery? Trees. We 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 now know that the trees are having a conversation and they're actually helping each other. And I think that's the analogy that I try to hold on to is that if we can be like the trees, and we used to think trees were all independent of each other. And now, you know, if you read, if you read the, the, the new research, we understand that underneath uh, all those roots and all of that, uh, all of those uh, networks, uh, there's communication going on. So at the end of the day, I think sometimes we don't realize that how important communication is. Uh, and whenever we're not communicating properly, that's when it feels like, the world is falling apart. And it's part of the reason why my entire career has been focused on helping people communicate with each other. You know, helping communities come together and work together. You know, I just got back from a week in Cuba, right? And, and I'm amazed at how much the artists in Cuba are communicating with each other. I mean, the, 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 I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been or heard about Fabrica del Artis. I mean, it's an organ. It's, it's 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 a it's an art center that actually is run by artists. It's 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 owned by the the government, right? The building is owned by the government, but everything in it is about the artists, and they collaborate with each other. They love each other, actually. Um, and you know, I've, and I, 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 there've been times in in the city of New Orleans when you know we had that same spirit. Um, I think that there's a lot of really wonderful young energy in the city right now. I've never seen music, for example, as, as, as robust as, as some of the young musicians that we have now today. I know we have a lot of talented young visual artists. We have a lot of incredible young architects in this community right now. And, you know, I, there, there is communication going on. None of us knows really exactly all of it, but you know, whenever I go to the Bayou Bar, I just get I, I, I get so excited, you know, that where did these people come from, right? It, 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 and and or or right down the, the road from my office is the rabbit hole, right? Well, who knew, you know, that all the stuff that that goes on in 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 our little bars that are in, in our little uh, clubs in the city all day every day. So my point is that, that the solution, I believe, is to, that we need to learn from nature. And nature is always communicating 
with all the parts of nature are always communicating with all the other parts of nature. And, and, and we are a part of nature. And as, as long as we can communicate with each other, then we can get through anything. You know, you and I both worked on the Unified New Orleans plan. Good example. 9,000 people it took to get that plan done. So it's, it's not the kind of thing that also that you can just expect it to happen. It has to be intentional. So I feel like that's the solution. No matter how complicated things are or how, um, uh, I mean, we're looking at projects like the River District right now. Good example. Well, you and I went through, you know, my very first project was the Jack Brewery. I mean, that was a controversial thing in its day, yeah. right? Uh, it, was a, it was half of the riverfront of the French Quarter. And, and it was a huge responsibility. And then came the aquarium. And then, I don't know if you remember, on the aquarium, you know, we had five architecture firms working on designing one building. It was really tough economic times. Nobody had any work. So we all got together and designed a building together. And, you know, we ended up being friends as a result of it. So I, I guess maybe my point is um, that I, I think that there is a lot of, I, I, when, I, when I ride around the city or, or as, I, as I said, when I, when I go and listen to music or, or wherever I go, um, it seems like I'm bumping into something that's actually uh, has a lot of positive energy in it. We, we don't hear about all that positive energy all the time, you know, because the, the, let's, be, let's be, be frank. The media doesn't really get clicks from positive. It mostly gets clicks from things that aren't going well. So it's up to us to be sure that we remember that, that things are nowhere near as bad as they sometimes seem. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, the architectural work that you have been doing um, and, 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 and where it's at right now. Um, well, uh, over the years, I mean, Concordia has always been uh, a, a studio. It's, it's, you know, we've, we've always plus or minus a dozen people. And that's 40 years. We celebrated, our, this is our 40th year. Wow. <laughs> started, started in 1983. As I mentioned, the first project was the Jack Brewery. Um, and uh, so much of our focus has been on engaging with the community, right? And, and most every, almost every project we do involves some kind of intensive community engagement. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's the love of our work, right? That, that we're able to work with so many interesting people and so many creative people. You know, one of our uh, mantras is that all of us are smarter than any of us. So mm -hmm. we, we, take, we get all the best ideas and we, and we put all those ideas together. And then the other mantra is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So we got all these good ideas and then we start connecting all the good ideas together and then son of a gun, if we don't have an even better idea. So uh, that, that is the, the sort of the, the, I would say the zeitgeist of our work. Um, our projects that we do are, are varied. Uh, uh, we, we, we work all over the country. We've actually worked all over the world. Um, and in different places. And um, right now we have a number of interesting projects in New Orleans. We have projects on the Gulf Coast. We have projects in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know, we have, we have things going on in, in, uh, in uh, Texas, in uh, Dallas, Texas, and places like that. 
but they're all around some kind of public project, some public good, right? So it's oftentimes public schools, uh, or, or it might be a lot of work that we've been doing lately is involved in climate change planning. Um, if, you know, if we think it's bad now, uh, buckle your seatbelt because um, it now is, is the best time, you know, as I, I say to my staff, planning is always a good idea and it's even better when you do it ahead of time. So now is the time for us to buckle down and, and, and get serious about uh, the impacts that are uh, gonna be coming uh, fast and furious every year, a little bit worse every so, year. So I, I, I think a lot, um, and we've shared this a little bit already, but uh, about intentionality. And, and I always feel like uh, you can do things two ways. You can do it effectively and have an effective result, or you can do it intentionally and have a, a uh, impact that is goes beyond the possibilities of what you started with. I don't know if this is a, a clearer way to say that, but um, so right now a question um, are the intentionality of our planning, building, uh, and thinking process in New Orleans, which sometimes feels like it's kind of stuck in um, in a uh, um, uh, kind of a negative uh, place, you know, you just hear too many people talk about crime, there's too many people who, uh, and I can't talk about crime, I have to be honest, crime to me is a symptom, it's not, you don't attack the crime, you attack the cause of the crime, and you attack bad education, uh, um, lack of support for um, uh, early childhood development, um, uh, housing, uh, lack of decent housing. It's, you, you deal with the things that contribute to somebody feeling like they have no hope, they have no uh, opportunities, uh, no ability to change and develop their lives. So um, I, 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 I look for what can what can and should we be doing in this city that will give more people a sense of hope and expectation and optimism uh, to get past the symptoms? Is that fair? Yeah, and I, I, my my feeling is is that that the 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 solution to all of our problems is, um, uh, and it's really a problem of democracy when you cut to the chase. But the solution to all the problems of democracy is more democracy. So what we haven't learned in two hundred and some fifty years um, is that it's a new it's a new idea, right? As I mentioned, I just got back from from a week in Cuba, Cuba, and they don't have any democracy in Cuba. But you know what? They overcome the lack of democracy, and the way they do it is because they 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 hang together, especially the creative community. And so I think, you know, we're here to talk about the creative community. So let's zero in. Um, let's talk about how can the artists and the, the, let's, the, the, the creative um, uh, placemakers in our community come together better and work together um, to make a better city because it doesn't work to complain about it, right? 
it, it really works for us to come together. And, you know, you and I are products of, of a time when there was a lot to complain about. And, and you know, there, were, there was deep divide in, in our, uh, among the, the, you know, the, 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 with issues around race. Uh, and back in those days, you know, there was a deep divide uh, among the politics of, of uh, the Vietnam War. And, and, and so uh, think about it. How did the Vietnam War stop? What stopped the Vietnam War? I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw on the table a radical idea. It was music. It was Joan Baez. You know, it was Bob Dylan. I was it, just going to say Bob Dylan. Woodstock, right? And it was it was poetry. And 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 so sometimes we forget about the power of the creative forces that we are all in control of, and we are all a part of. In fact, we have a lot of responsibility as 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 the the creative uh, people in our communities uh, to step up when we see things aren't working well, and it's usually the artists who are there first, uh, and and who are the ones who are willing to step up to the plate when a whole bunch of other people are like waiting to see this how somebody else is going to fix it. Right, it's the artists who move into the dilapidated neighborhoods like Soho and completely turn it around, um, and then they get priced out of the market. So they end up like, well, in New Orleans, here we are, right? So you know, the the, the creative community moved to to uh, Marini, and then it priced themselves out of Marini, and next and then next thing you know, the creative community moves down to Bywater, and then then Bywater gets too expensive, and creative community moves down to Araby, right? So that's the way it works. And, and it's important for us all to remember that we, are, we have a responsibility because we have, um, we have that capacity to see things uh, and to act on things that, um, that, that you know, not everybody is, is blessed with. Do, do you agree with me that, that the planning planners have an important role and that we don't have as robust and connected and, and intentional a planning um, context in this city yes, that we it, need. It's exactly my point. My point is that, you know, I, I, by the way, I don't mean to say that we don't have artists who are attack, attach, attacking the issues of climate change. We do. We have a lot of artists who are doing incredible art individually. Right, we have a lot of planners who are doing some really interesting projects. Um, what we don't have is we don't have the the, the cohesion. Uh, we don't have uh, the, the uh, we don't have a a, a body uh, of of artists and a body of planners um, and architects who are all working together um, to address uh, the issues. Uh, at, at the scale that, that, that it's time for us to all come together and do that. How do we meld some kind of co more cohesive effort amongst the creatives and city government and the business community? How would you see that happening? Just, yeah. just pulling it out of, your, out of the air. How would you see promoting a, a cooperative effort between city government, the business sector, communities, 
and educational institutions and creatives. Right. Two answers. One answer is one step at a time, right? You have to build that coalition, right? And I know you've been working really hard to do that. And a lot and a lot of people have been working really hard to do that. Um, and, 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 and the other answer is all of the above. Um, and that's the hard part of it is because sometimes we think planning is, you know, one thing, right? So that's why I'm going to circle back to the notion of an ecosystem. So if we think things are linear sequential, then we think we can come up with some linear sequential organization that's, that is going to be able to tackle uh, problems and challenges of these magnitudes. Uh, fact of the matter is, you know, as I mentioned, you and I were both involved in the Unified New Orleans plan, as were, you know, almost everybody in the city, almost every organization in the city was involved. That's why it worked. <laughs> because it, it wasn't me, it wasn't you, it wasn't somebody, so-and-so, you know, it was all of us. It was everybody. And, you know, we had 9,000 people in meetings all around the city. We had 12 urban planning firms working. That's a real number, 9,000. I never knew that number. That's the number. Or, or if I did, I forgot. Yeah, it's a, it, well, you don't even need to know the number because you remember what it felt like, right? Oh, yeah. And I still have people tell me, oh, my goodness, you know, I went to those meetings. I remember those meetings. Um, and so that's the reason why the city of New Orleans is the city of New Orleans now because of New Orleanians. Um, and because it, it, it was the because the answer it, the, to your question about who's going to do it is that everybody has to do it. You and I both know that the devil is in the details. And so, you know, uh, how do we right now pull all of those energies back together? Let's don't wait. Right. Let's don't wait for another uh, uh, catastrophic event. Right. Uh, that's the, I guess maybe at the end of the day, that's the serious question because we know we could do it because we did it, right? We as a community did it. And we as a community, uh, uh, the people of New Orleans created the people's plan for the emergency recovery of the city. And then uh, thankfully, which uh, a, a, a process that had been discussed for, for, for 20 years before that, uh, what that came out of it was an uh, uh, impetus, thanks to people like Bill Bohr and other people, uh, to, to create a master plan that had the force of law. And now we have a master plan developed by Goody Clancy and everybody else in the community all over again um, that has the force of law. So we have a we have a, a north star in our plan, right? In the in the community's plan that the community developed for itself. So I think that's to be celebrated. Maybe what we should do is celebrate. Um, and uh, I like the idea of celebrating you know, Hurricane Katrina, <laughs> or, or at least hurricane, celebrating uh, the, the- What the, we did. The 20 years of, of growth we... and change and, and, and positive uh, uh, things that have happened. You know, I mean, I've had good discussions recently with some school board members who, uh, who are really interested in community schools and community schooling. And so we have the United Way and we have the 4-H and we have a lot of community organizations that are trying to do these wraparound services for all of our children and how children need these wraparound services. They don't just need academic uh, uh, services. So uh, it, it, they need health care, 
right? And they need counseling. They need all those other things to, 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 to that make them able to learn, right? Or in a position to learn. So it, it's the same question you're asking, who's gonna do it, right? Is the school district gonna do it? Is United Way gonna do it? Is the mayor's office gonna do it? Well, I think, I think everybody's looking across the table and going, aren't you supposed to do that? And I, what I believe is, is that we all need to figure out how we can work together to do it. So it's a collaborative enterprise. Now, it's all easier said than done, as we know. And last time that, that, that it happened uh, at the scale that you and I just talked about, it happened not because we wanted it to, but because it had to. And I, I'm going to say that I believe that we need to change our mindset right now to the reality of catastrophic changes that are coming and that it's time for us to be thinking in that vein that um, we need to prepare ourselves this time. We need, don't need to wait until it's there. You know, we, we need to, it's the hardest thing in the world to do, right? Plan it's ahead. Fair. Mm -hmm. It's hard, it's not, it's not compelling, it's not, you know, um, for some reason, you know, it, it's just a part of our human nature that we that we don't. Um, we're not we're not very good at planning ahead. I'm sorry, we're just not. But um, it 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 is if we can find a way to do it. And I don't have a, a silver bullet. Uh, it, it it's time consuming. It's expensive. Uh, you know, people don't people don't have time for community meetings as much, you know, unless they unless their lives depend on it. Fact of the matter. I think we're going to have to definitely um, uh, evolve out of the place that we're at and the way we use uh, technology uh, to uh, running it instead of it running us. And we might be able to um, uh, capture more time to, to do the preparation you're talking about. Well, this has been provocative for me. I think the most important thing is that we have to just acknowledge the the uh, complexity of the situation and and you know uh, and uh, you 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 you're good at analogies so I want to throw one more on the table uh, the one that I've heard um, a couple of times that really rings true for me the house is on fire and our kids are in the attic it's frankly uh, it, it, it it's the generation that's only now being born that are, is going to inherit the most catastrophic impacts of the changes that, um, that unless some miracle happens, um, the changes that are, are, that lie ahead of us, right? And some reason, uh, for, for, uh, for every reason, we need to think about how we can do it like the Native Americans always did. They always planned for seven generations ahead. They planned, they called it for the seventh generation. So how the question, really the question that we probably could, could spend a lot of time thinking about is how do we get ourselves and our communities in a position where we can be thinking of that responsibly, you know, um, about planning ahead 
for our children and our grandchildren so that they don't have to suffer um, at, at, at the level that, that, that they might. Good place to um, take a pause. And we um, may want to pick up this conversation again, uh, not too long in the future. And um, again, with 84 anniversary coming up and, and, um, and uh, 2005 anniversary coming up, um, we really have to think about how to make these milestones count. I, I believe in milestones. It's like deadlines. In my business, it's deadlines that keep me on track and, and getting the work done. And so I think we have two deadlines there for doing all the things that we've been talking about that, um, you know, can, can take many lifetimes to really uh, progress. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated about many of the things we've talked about. One of the things that I'm most fasc fascinated about is your conversation about Cuba. Well, there's a wonderful word in, in, uh, in, uh, in Spanish that I learned in Cuba, and it's called resolver. You know, it's like you got a 1955 Chevy uh, and, and uh, the carburetor, uh, the butterfly valve and the carburetor just blew out. And, and what are you going to do? You can't buy the part, right? Because of the embargo. So you go get a beer can and you get some scissors and you make it, right? Um, you resolve the issue. You don't say, you know, well, the mayor's not doing right and somebody else is not doing right. And so they're their fault and all this other stuff. So I, I want to leave you with this idea, right? The idea is because I don't, I don't, I don't want to, Sound as if I'm, I'm as, as if I'm so pessimistic, or that, you know, that I'm, I'm not trying to paint a ca quite as catastrophic picture as it might seem. Oh, so, I hope you have. I'm, I'm actually I, I think you have this, I'm, No, I I'm think you have all throughout this conversation been talking about how to move forward. Go ahead. I'm optimistic about our ingenuity, and 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 that's maybe my most important point, because I think that the answer to everything we've talked about is whether it's, you know, the crime in the city or education in the city or all, all of the other things is ingenuity. And, and that's why I love what you're doing because, you know, if we can energize the arts community, I mean, the arts community, the whole, uh, the whole, the whole purpose of the arts community is to, is to be entrepreneurial and to be creative um, and to be ingenious, right? So now's a time more than any other that I can remember in my own lifetime when uh, we really need to double down on being ingenious. So, you know. And, and you know, I think that we have um, failed to recognize the ingenuity, improvisation, and in uh, innovation and, and all those... Um, good words starting with IN um, that were have always been characteristic of New Orleans and Louisiana, which a lot of people don't think about us this way. They think about us in terms of, I don't know, trad jazz and, and uh, um, old architecture, when really uh, the, the thing that has been a, a, a thread and a theme uh, from the past to now is always been ingenuity, improvisation, innovation, 
um, in, inventions that people get other places like Amsterdam, uh, you that's know that story, get credit for uh, that originated with us. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to say thank you uh, so much. But I, I, I think um, a couple of very important things came out of this conversation for me, even though this is stuff that I think about a lot all the time, keeps me up at night, um, that I'm uh, have moved me uh, and in my positioning on it, and I can really see, um, I can see the uh, implementation better than I have because I've been ducking it. I really have been ducking it because I was so afraid of the politics of it. Now I'm not going to let that hold me back from saying how uh, we need to do exactly what we've been talking about in cohesiveness. Stephen, you're an inspiration. You always have been. Um, your wife is as well. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Jean. Take care. <laughs> Bye. This is Jean Nathan for Cross Sound Conversations. Tune in next week, too.